things you own end up owning you. What's up, good people? My guest today is Danny Roddy. Danny is an independent health researcher and has been writing about health since 2007. Danny has worked with many health and wellness coaches and doctors and has experimented on himself with many diets and many perspectives. He's very well known to those who follow the work of Dr. Ray Pete. In the podcast, we talk about what led Danny into taking his failing health into his own hands. We talk, uh, of course, about Ray Pete and his ideas. We chat about thyroid and testosterone and just the current culture of health. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to Danny, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks for listening. I'm curious why you started this. Yeah, uh, why I started the podcast? Well, yeah, I feel like there's not a lot of, um, you know, I've been in the fitness, whatever industry, you know, I did kinesiology in college. So, like, I've been, you know, and I did martial arts, like, bef in, before I was, you know, in grade school. So I've kind of been in this world for a long time. And it seems like every year it's getting more retarded. Well, you know, you know, pardon my French, the, you know, it's just going down to like this different vibe and it's going, it's creating, they're creating their own like, you know, certifications and, and nutrition coaching and all that. Mm. And it all just seems to like miss the big mark. You know what I'm saying? It's like, they're just, it, it's not, you know, the information out there right now. Like if you're like an average person that just wants to figure out like, okay, how do I just like eat healthy? Uh, whatever that means, right? Because if you, like to one person eating healthy is like, uh, you know, keto diet. Another person, it's like, oh, just eat whole, heart healthy grains. You know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, it's just so. I think if people need to get some information, and it's just hard to get like good information out there because all the information about health and wellness, it's all the fitness industry information stuff. And same goes for like uh, exercise too. You know, like whereas guys back in the day would just like an average dude, I feel like 20 years ago probably know how to do like some lifts. And it's I'm not even talking about like you know, deadlift, clean and jerk, anything like crazy, you know what I mean? But I'm just talking about just like, just how to go to the gym and just do like a 30 minute, 40 minute workout and go home. Whereas now you go into the gym and people are doing these crazy fucking, you know, exercises where it's like, why are you even doing that? And they're doing that because yeah, they're just getting all their info from like fitness people, fitness celebrities. And it's just so missing the mark. Well, again, your talk with Kyle, I really enjoyed it. And I think, I think you're just coming from a place that's like a valuable place that, you don't see very often, like, um, so I'm, you have to put me in this category of people that should always be skeptical of anything I say or do or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's just like these natural skeptical people trying to, uh, find out the truth. You know, like I, I, I try to like categorize people in the health world into like truthers or people that are like trying to create empires. And yes. so <laughs> when I saw you and Kyle, like Kyle is clearly not interested in like monetizing his information or yes. anything. And so I, I, I really liked the conversation between you two and I thought it was really excellent. I appreciate it, brother. Well, and that's why, you know, people like Kyle and yourself are great to talk to because again, you're not like married to all these ideas and you might be to some but you're at least i feel like whenever i listen to an interview or, or you look at your work it's always like right now this is what i think and like that's a great way of putting it instead of like you know what the carnivore diet it's what everybody <laughs> did a hundred years ago so we should do it now right and it's just like yeah well, i mean that's something ray writes a lot about like the authoritarianism and it was something i knew i didn't like but i never knew what that, uh, by the way, are you like recording? Yeah, yeah, we're just going oh, okay, for okay. it, man. Do your thing. <laughs> we're free balling it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
that, that authoritarianism, like, uh, I, I've probably told this story a thousand times, but like, I used to do a podcast with Chris Crusher. Uh-huh. Chris is a very smart guy, you know, but I, I would put him on the side of the empire type type of person wanting to create an empire and lots of different supplements and tests and just de- very many different avenues of uh, monetizing things, which is okay, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but I had some experiences with him, like of kind of top down control of like the, the podcast and stuff. And again, the, the way we would interact, there was something off, off with it, but I didn't know what it was, you know, but mm-hmm. the, that authoritarianism or, I am the the one that like perceives the knowledge and then transmutes it through myself to you. Like I mm-hmm. hate that. Mm-hmm. It's so much. And, and, and that's so, what I'm. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, man. Uh-huh. No, I was gonna keep rambling. But again, Ray focuses on that so much, and he lives it too. Like, I, you know, like he he is just a humble dude. That's like, yeah, I think it. I think it works like this. You know, and uh, yeah. I could interject with my own experience but like you might have a totally different experience and so yeah yeah that's, that's valuable it's always a two-way street it's not one person passing along information to another one exactly man and yeah and to bring it back to that like you know the fitness industry or whatever nutrition industry and that's what those industries are like creating these things of like the these groups right it's like you're you're the chris Cresser guy you're the uh paleo or whatever he calls it now right because there's right because it started with like paleo and then it was like <laughs> primal and it was like carnivore oh my god just fuck man so yeah people get so confused and it's tough right now and that's why i think it's like you know it's great to chat to people like you like you said like ray and kyle it's just like um open to interpretation but at the same time it's uh you have real experience with it because he like in my journey of like being in like uh, nutrition world, health world, whatever, you'd meet, you'd talk to people that are like, nah, you don't, don't do the vegan diet. It's the worst. And you're like, okay, why? And then they'll tell you some shit. And then you're like, have you tried it? And they're like, no. And you're like, so you don't, you don't really know, you know? And I'm not saying the vegan diet is the best or the worst, but I'm just saying like you, Kyle Amunis, uh, sounds like Ray, you know, I've never, never personally talked to him, but sounds like, you guys have had experience in these things. And I do think that that stuff trumps a lot of the, you know, because anybody can open up a book and read about it, right? But it's a completely whole other world when you, like, try it out and you figure it out. Then you really know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, so again, this is uh, my journey and Kyle's really kind of mimic each other. But he actually went in, he did the right thing to go into academia to actually, uh, like, Mm -hmm. really put a cohesive picture together. And so... Um, yeah, I did. I, I don't remember when I did veganism. It must be like around 2006 or 2007. So what's and then, that? that's like what, 14 years, 15 years ago, basically. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and um, like I used to work at Apple retail and I was like a terror to be around. All I wanted to talk about, <laughs> all, all I wanted to talk about was veganism and how like people are going to have heart attacks. But I had literally like, no idea about physiology or why something <laughs> would happen, you know? And, um, yeah, people would just avoid me and I, I shrunk down, I'm, I'm not like the biggest dude in the world or anything, but I shrunk down to 120 pounds, which was like yeah, just light, total anorexia type. My family wanted to have like an intervention with me, you know, Oh man! but that was really a vegetable focused diet. And so I wasn't like a junk food vegan. I really tried to like eat a lot of, uh, beans, uh, and vegetables and things like that. And so just doing that, uh, was just a, 
yeah. for myself, just a real bad experience. So, so I, I experienced like the lows and the lows of that. And then I think keto slash paleo was on the rise at that time. There was like, um, I don't know, there was a few different blogs and like, this is a time when YouTube, YouTube health, like didn't even exist. I don't, I don't know. Remember when YouTube came out, but it was a while later. Yeah. Maybe yeah. 2008 or something. I don't know. At least there wasn't no nutrition shit out there yet. There was like, I think the first wave was like, do you remember a guy called Scooby? It's this like older gay oh, yeah, dude yeah, in yeah, California yeah, the, that yeah, just, <laughs> just works out all the time. You know, he's like in a speedo. <laughs> that was like the first wave of health stuff. <laughs> and then there was like a few raw vegan channels, but um, yeah, I remember paleo being super sparse, like no, no content on YouTube originally. Mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, you know, so yeah, I, I totally fail miserably on veganism. Then this paleo thing is up and coming and, um, Mark Sisson, pro, mm-hmm. the prime, uh, his, his, the, his isn't the, I know he calls it primal, but that's not actually <laughs> raw primal anymore. <laughs> That, don't you fuck it up, Danny. Card. If you say the wrong one, <laughs> you're going to get sued. I don't know. I think his thing is the primal uh, Yeah, the primal diet. blueprint was his Although yeah. he stole that from, uh, um, what's his name? Like Vonder- Vonderplanets. Yeah, yeah, Vonderplanets, yeah. right? Vonderplanets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, he probably wasn't even aware of them. I, I guarantee you probably never heard of the guy, but um, yeah. The, the crazy thing was, like, uh, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit. When, when I was zero carb, mm-hmm. uh, Mark Sisson had written an article. Like, I, I don't, don't even ask me why I did this, but I posted, like, this <laughs> picture of my leg on my blog. I had, like, scurvy or something when oh, I was shit. carnivore. Uh-huh. And, like, I had a bunch of... Um, I don't know how to say it. It's like pedicilla, but like the red dots all over my leg. I li- this was like a total – it's like hard to even think that this this was me. You know, it's like looking at a, a picture of yourself in high school or something. Totally. But anyways, <laughs> th- this picture of me, a prominent like zero-carb carnivore person, Mark Sisson took that picture and said, this is why you don't want to do carnivore because like Roddy's an idiot because he, oh, he has man. scurvy, <laughs> which yeah. he's like – he's pretty much right, you know, and – um. But I actually saw Mark at like the Ancestral Health Symposium in 2011, the same when I met Kyle, uh-huh. and I think he like apologized for writing that like article. But hey, what, what I'm fast forwarding to is he was kind of on that bandwagon as well with mm-hmm. Saladino, and yeah. and so yeah. Anyways, but uh, but yeah, I mean the health scene obviously extremely fickle. Uh-huh. And if you don't have a, like the my religious uh, a, a person I knew used to tell me like if you don't. Um, Oh shit! I'm this up. Well, if don't you don't, oh, yeah. if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for. If you don't yeah. stand some for for something, you'll fall for anything. Yeah. And I kind of think about that in like a physiological sense or like a health sense. Like if you have no foundation holding your worldview together of like what makes a person healthy and what makes them sick, mm-hmm. you're just going to be like led down all these crazy territories of like calorie restriction or yeah, so or, yeah. or whatever. So it's probably good for somebody to just get a physiology book at least right or get some sort of physiology like uh, you know knowledge yeah totally but to be honest i think ray does that with context you know and so so that's kind of his thing is like talking about these like extremely complex hormonal interactions and then adding the history to it and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh so I think people like send him messages saying they don't want the context, but that's like what Ray is all about, trying to like right. show how this idea originated and what it, how it got, um, yeah. I don't know, went through the pharma industry and where it is now. Yeah, and I think it's important. And it's like – because also the other thing is like – because anybody can read a physiology book. It doesn't really mean you know what the fuck you're talking about, <laughs> even if you learn that book, right? You know, it's like, like you play music, I, I know, and yeah. – um, you know what I'm saying? It's like you teach somebody how to play, and they can play the the, the you know the note or the chord even. But then you'll pl- you put them in the band, 
and you play with them. I'm sure you had this experience. And they fucking suck. They can't keep up. They're off rhythm. They don't really, like, they can't interact with the other band members, right? And that's what, like, separates, like, a great band. You know, when you watch, like, I don't know, Red Hot Chili Peppers play live. And they're just all, they, they kind of have this connection. They look at each other. They know what the fuck's going on. And that's, that's what separates that from, like, a really shitty band where it's, like, this guy's playing this. And he's, like, a slightly, a little bit faster than the drummer. The drummer is, like, in his own world. And, like, I think that's really important. So, like you said, I, it, it is important to have at least somebody and, until you get there to at least interpret it somewhat. And they might, they may be wrong or they may be a little off course, but it's probably better to have somebody like that there for you. You're t- totally right. <laughs> you know, like, and, and this is, um, there's a paper by a guy named like, I think Panda or something, but he talks about the art, the art of medicine and kind of helping people, uh, overcome sickness and stuff is totally gone. And I think like so-called science-based medicine mm-hmm. is an effort to totally eliminate that kind of artistic approach. Yeah. But, th- this, <laughs> but, but this cannot be understated. Like, um, I, I really think a lot of people in the health space are like really shitty artists, you know, uh-huh. like they don't have like creative thinking of how a problem can manifest. And that that's probably not to blame them specifically. It's pro- pro- probably like the culture uh, um, festers it and, mo- and promotes like a kind of thinking that there there's no connections to anything. Therefore don't be artistic, just be like a linear type of thinker. Mm-hmm. And, but, but yeah, man, it's, um, I think that artistic approach, like, like a, the best, the, like I wasn't born to play the bass. I was, I was like the shitty bass, the music person you were talking about. You know? But like I had, I had a singer and a guitarist who were born to mm-hmm. sing and born to play guitar. Like yeah. they were, they were just totally yeah. amazing instruments. Yeah. And you know what I'm talking about? That's exactly it. There's just some people. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, I mean, there's, there's levels to it too, right? There's the people that can like keep up, you know? I mean, I'm sure you didn't suck. I knew, I knew you had a professional thing going, so I'm sure. Pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, some people just kind of get it. And so that's why it's, it's tough to have conversations with other people because yeah, there are those do- kind of what's the word point dexters <laughs> that just kind of learn shit right and they they know that they can definitely cite you 600 references for this particular thing they're talking about and that particular thing they're talking about but then when it really comes to like this big picture they don't really understand it and you can sense that i just think for for, for the average person it probably takes a lot of time to realize that you know, and that's how people fall into these kind of, like you said, you just, somebody makes a, you know, authority statement, like, just trust me or whatever, you know, like vegans have the least heart attacks overall, like done, you know, and it's tough to argue with those people, you know? Well, like, as you know, the more certainty you have, the more uh, you are going to look like you, the likelihood that you are going to look like a total fool in the yeah. future yeah. is like highly likely. <laughs> and so, so again, not to keep talking about this, Paul Saladino, but like his kind of tra- uh, traversal through the health sphere is extremely interesting to me, you know? Yeah. And so kudos to him for changing his mind. He could just have like stuck to his guns and, and mm-hmm. not changed anything. Mm-hmm. But, um, but he did take a lot of heat, like the strong sisters too. They took, a, whenever you change your mind about anything, you take a lot of heat. Oh yeah. And so, um, well, yeah, let's, that's let, a, let's give some people like some context. So Paul Saladino. So the first I've heard about him was that, yeah, he was the, you know, carnivore guy. He, his, his tag on the uh, Instagram is carnivore MD, right? It's so, and his whole thing was like, you know, not just carnivores, like nose to tail carnivore. So it's cool. Okay. And then I feel like. By, by the way, I think Denise Minger coined that like 10 years ago. Like, who, who? I think she, 
Denise Minger. Oh I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. We talked about it with Kyle. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she, well, there you go. So and then recently, and um, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I I do look around and check and stuff, you know, but I don't like. I'm not super into the each, you know, carnivore world or whatever. But I, you know, yeah, I was recently found out that he's eating. Uh, is it a hundred grams of honey? Do you remember how much honey he's eating? I. I don't remember what the gram was. It was I think he had a post on uh, Instagram, maybe mm-hmm. that it was around a hundred or, or so. But um, but again, yeah, not to steal your thunder, but Go like he, he was the person saying there's no such thing as a essential carbohydrate. Like <laughs> he said that on multiple interviews, and so yeah, um, yeah. So he was promoting this like super meat based right nutrition. You just that's all you need. We don't need vegetables. Every single vegetable sucks. Uh, we don't need fruit because what, what's the, what's the argument against fruit from the carnivore? Bag, bag of sugar. Oh, like, bag of sugar. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so bag of sugar, and then yes, and then um, he goes on and he says that he's eating like a shit ton of honey because we you, we don't remember how much, but it was definitely a significant amount because I looked at some of the comments and they were like, "Holy hell, man, you're gonna give yourself diabetes." Blah blah blah. You know, and um, yeah, and so he had a live stream going on his um, Instagram. And I joined in. It was just like, you know, I just opened up my Instagram and I said, oh, cool. So he's getting questions asked. And uh, I asked a question. I said, uh, so since you're eating honey now, why not change your name from carnivore MD because <laughs> <laughs> to something else or, you know, whatever? Because carnivore, you know, it comes from the word carne, right? Which just means meat in Spanish and fucking Italian and <laughs> Latin. And so it, it specifically means meat, right? Um, but his answer was that he, he doesn't want to do that because it's an animal food. And so, like, it's almost like he took my little, like, question and, like, spun it a little bit because he still wants to hold on to this thing that he's created because if he just – if he was to, like, break it apart, right, it's it, – nobody's going to listen to him anymore. Everybody's going to be like, oh, fuck you, man. You were, you were, you were leading me down this, this rabbit hole, and then now you're completely changing your message, and so people are going to fall out. So instead of doing that, I feel like he just says, oh, well – I'm not. I'm. I'm not eating sugar. I'm not eating fruit, which is or um, honey, right? Because it's by the way, it's mostly fructose. I'm eating an animal food, so I can still hold on to this thing that I've kind of you know created, and everybody's going to see it, and I'm going to get famous for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and I'm sure you can empathize, but like going through for myself, like veganism to low carb paleo to carnivore, like those were all cages I had built for myself, you know, right. and. And thank goodness, like, I didn't have – I still don't have a high profile or anything, but, like, I had way less of a profile back when I was doing these things. So if I stopped veganism, nobody really cared, but my sister was like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe you did that. So I had to, like, answer to her, you know, and, like – and then everybody at work, like, cheered so they wouldn't have to hear anything more from me about, like, veganism. So – but, again, you're right. It's, like, about – like people building these empires, it would it would look kind of bad if they went about face t- talking about how yeah um, the thing they had been talking about for two years and yeah. and I put out on my Twitter like he mentioned that uh, it's kind of a silly statement he was like on a ketogenic carnivore diet your thyroid hormones will be fine like, <laughs> that's literally like a, a verbatim quote just fine. And, yeah. <laughs> And then he told uh, uh, Gr- uh, Greenfield, what's his name? Uh, that dude, Ben, ben Greenfield. Uh, uh-huh. Ben Greenfield. Uh-huh. That he was had like severe cold intolerance living in San Diego. <laughs> and so again, I don't want this to like get misconstrued. I'm happy that he changed his mind. I'm just again, we kind of already talked about this kind of authoritarianism, like 100% certitude. Mm-hmm. Like it's like just like so. 
like everybody's everybody's sick. Mm-hmm. We all live in this sick world and we're mm-hmm. being harmed 24 hours a day by these technologies and this culture. Like stop everybody everybody can just stop pretending like people have answers to, to all these things. Like, yeah. And, and if everybody stopped pretending, uh, like we, we'd be able to, I think, interact with each other in a more fruitful way. Yeah, man, that's, <laughs> you hit it on the, you know, the fucking, the nail on the head, as they say. Right. I mean, yeah. Cause, um, you know, I feel like hypothetically speaking, if there was a, you know, uh, like an animal, let's, let's say they find an animal tomorrow that walks around, but, the meat of the animal is made out of sugar. <laughs> Those guys would all start eating that animal, and they would say, "Look, it's it's a you know it's a it's, it's sugar, but it's an animal sugar, you know, because it's an animal that walks around." So it's kind of funny. So, like you said, man, it's just at the end of the day, I guess it's just people wanting to, like you said, build this empire, make some money, really, which is why. Yeah, you and me included, we both kind of try to avoid and listen to those people less, although they might have some great information, right? Like they might put some stuff, good stuff out there. And like you said, Saladino definitely has, most of those people I feel like have a good intention. Uh, it, it does seem like over time, the, the good intention kind of goes down <laughs> and the uh, creating your fucking empire goes up, doesn't it? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, no doubt. And and again, you know, and and the thing is, uh, like these people wouldn't exist if our in- institutions weren't like total failures. You know what oh, I mean? And boy. so so that even somebody like Dave Asper or Paul Saladino or Sean Baker or uh, input vegan person, mm-hmm. we're all trying to find alternative answers to this like t- totally shitstorm that we're all in and, and this obviously fraudulent food pyramid or the the foods they're telling us to eat are heart healthy or whatever. So, mm-hmm. so there's that too. And so I wouldn't want to dump on any single person or anyone because we're all trying to find our answers. But again, the, the, it would just be nicer with less certitude about these. Yeah. These types just of things. being less of a douchebag about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're putting it the nicer way. And I'll, I'll, I'll take the heat, you know? <laughs> so yeah, man. So you were talking about like, you know, the environment and all this. I, I do feel like still there are a lot of people that they're just not aware of it. I think that they have a lot of people in this world have this picture that we live in the best of times ever. You know, we have cars, we have iPhones, nobody's quote unquote killing each other or whatever, you know, and it's like, if there's, I would never want to be alive 200 years ago because that was the worst. Everybody's killing each other and everybody's angry and, you know, and this is the best time. So, I mean, like, what do you think are, you know what? What are some of the biggest things that you see are the problems in the, in our environment today? Uh, food supply, <laughs> like food supply, is definitely you know if you start <laughs> looking into it, right? It's like yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's atrocious. Do you think there's other things in there? Uh, yeah. So I've mentioned this a few times. The Wi-Fi worries me. You know, the Wi-Fi, the the cell phone radiation and things like that. Mm-hmm. And like, do you remember the iPhone came out in like 2007? Yeah. And so. Think of how little time this experiment has been going on, like thir- 13 years. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, I mean, I know there were cell phone towers before that, but like that's when I feel, feel like the big smartphone kind of, um, I don't know what the right word is, like proliferation of all these people having smartphones. Like that that uh, that only happened fairly recently. And so we're, we're again in this, this gigantic experiment of what happens when everybody around you has like a really high powered LTE radios, mm-hmm. a radio frequency on their phones and things like that. So 
that that definitely worries me. And then uh, I guess the the EMF makes the PUFA problem worse. Mm. So there's a there's a process in cells when the the PUFA are there called lipid peroxidation, which Kyle could explain infinitely better than I could. But it's like you have a <laughs> like a free hydrogen and like a free radical will steal the electron off the the unsaturated fat, mm -hmm. and that will damage the mitochondria of cells. Like nobody thinks lipid peroxidation is a good thing, but apparently. Mm -hmm. Apparently the EMF intensifies that process, and so, so yeah, that's a that's one bad thing. And then we could talk probably all day just about the culture. Like there's something seriously wrong with that. like our cumulative culture, especially in the U.S. where I like spent the most time. Yeah. But and, and it's, I mean, I guess it's debatable of who created that and why. And um, so. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just gonna you know I was gonna ask you. So I mean, <laughs> I so. When did you get out of the U.S.? What was the, you know, what was the, the, the process that you got out of the U.S. and you ended up across the, you know, some in a, uh, many other places that you've been? <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, so I lived in San Francisco and I lived there for five years until 2016. And again, I, I don't really think of myself as like a political person. I could talk to anybody about anything. And the, the issue was that I thought that like 2016 presidential uh, election had enveloped people that I never heard in my whole life talk about politics. And so suddenly, <laughs> if you want to go hang out with XYZ person and you guys never talk about politics, now all they want to do is talk about politics. And yeah. so that was – And they know. That, they know everything about yeah, politics. Yeah. <laughs> years and years of study, political <laughs> science, right? Same thing exactly. with the nutrition thing, right? It's like we, you see this theme of like certitude like you said. Man. Yeah, everybody's an expert. And so, um, so that was uh, exhausting and mm -hmm. and I just talked about this with my dad, but like um, when you leave San Francisco, it's like, okay, where are you going? Uh, Portland or are you going to New York? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Those are, those <laughs> those are like the places. same bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I don't want to go to either of those places. Um, Ray always talks favorably about Mexico. Why don't you kind of like put your, your, your critical of the U.S.? Why don't you put your money where your mouth is and leave leave the, the United States? Mm -hmm. And also, not to toot my own horn, but I sensed that if another 9-11 happened, the wheels would come off. Yeah. And I was right. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, only, the ironic thing about that was uh, I was in Thailand when the whole coronavirus stuff went down. So that mm -hmm. was – that I did, I'm happy to be back because I was, I was afraid for things there. So – so again, I think it was about a quality of life thing, you know, um, mm -hmm. and just uh, there were some negatives and positives, but I, I love Mexico. I think it's a great place. And and so you've been there uh, how long now? I moved here in 2016, but 16. I kept traveling. Okay, yeah, so, so you can, but that, that always remains your kind of base that you go back to. Huh? Yeah, now I'm like my preparing mentally just to be here permanently, and so that's the big change. I was like, oh, I wish I was in Japan. Oh, I wish I was in Malaysia. Oh, I wish I was in Thailand. Or I wish I was somewhere else. What, yeah. I, even though I like Mexico, but now there's no more there. And what's like the situation there with the coronavirus there thing? I mean, are, there, are they locked down? Are you wearing masks to go into the fucking store? Yeah, they're doing all the same things that's, here. Masks, uh, if you want to go into any kind of store. And um, they don't have any like check-ins with phones, but they do have like lists of where you write your name. Nobody I've seen takes it very seriously. Okay. And but I am in kind of like a gringo zone of of Mexico, mm -hmm. and so I imagine if you went to like a smaller town. I I don't know what to expect, but I wouldn't mm. expect what's going. On here. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you know I'm Russian originally, right? So you know Russians. Um, maybe Chinese people, well, a, a lot of other cultures, not only, you know, Russians and Chinese and Cubans and Mexicans. I feel like we share this thing of like, 
yeah, I don't really trust everything the government tells me. So like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so like, um, you know, I'm just going to, you know, do my own thing sometimes. Of course, not with everything, because some things, you know, of course, they also had lockdowns in Russia and they were wearing masks. But like overall, you know, I still have family that lives there. Overall, um, things are pretty much back to normal there right now. Some people are still, you know, you got to wear a mask sometimes uh, here and there. But like, you know, it's not like it is here in L.A. where, you know, I still can't go to the gym. Uh, Even though the funny thing is I can go into a restaurant and I have to wear a mask when I go into the restaurant. Then when I sit down, I can take the mask off and the virus disappears because if, <laughs> if you're four feet or, or down or lower, it just goes over your head and I can eat and be fine. But then if I go into, you know, if I want to do, uh, they close down like Muscle Beach over here, you know, they fenced it off. It's just like, you know, not a good scene here. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine, man. I had, I had issues with LA before, like I... Before coronavirus. And so to add that kind of intensity uh, and um, neighbor on neighbor, like citizen on citizen watching you to make sure that you're not wearing your mask wrong, that would drive me. And they were doing that. They were announcing like, hey, yeah, uh, here's a hotline you can call if you see somebody not wearing a mask. Here's what. Yeah, they were shutting down power and, and water for people that were having parties. You know, it's really, really strange shit. So I was gonna say, you know, even though you are a gringo, but you're still there and you've been there for many years, so you do have a good sense of what Mexico's like. Do you feel like Mexicans are sort of like that, where they're like, eh, okay, like, I'm going to take this, you know, with as much seriousness as I want to, you know what I'm saying? I I would suspect so, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I would never, uh, the propaganda is strong, you know, and so... Uh, but yeah, that's why I came here because I think it's more of like the wild, wild west. And so there's good parts about that and bad parts about that. Mm-hmm. But I have like zero confidence in the U.S. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I've heard people tell me like, oh, uh, if things get bad, like we'll fight back. Like I do not think so at, mm. like at all. Like I, again, that and that was largely formed by my experience in uh, San Francisco. Like I just thought people were so t- do not. Uh, do not think outside the narrative. And oh, that no. like just totally freaked me out. And it like, they, they, w- when you let them hang themselves, like you just ask questions about like their mm-hmm. worldview and then it would totally conflict yeah. with each other. Like the, um, I don't know the, uh, not to get too deep into this, but like the idea that you should not have guns, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I don't even care about this. It's like, this is not something I'm passionate about or anything, mm-hmm. but like a, a liberal person might say, Oh, you should not have guns but you should call the police if you are being attacked. But also the police are the one who are disproportionately killing like African-American people. You you know what I mean? Like their ideas. And then you got to defund the police because we don't need the police. But then it's like, wait, so when you need an emergency, how the fuck are you going to call the police? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So again, I don't care about any of that, but I'm care about, I care about consistent ideas. You do know what I mean? And like, and it was just like a buffet of bad, like bad, stupid ideas that people were being kind of force fed through the media yeah. and literature like and reactional thinking. Right. It's like this bad. OK, boom. And that's kind of the <laughs> same thing happening in like the medical industry. Right. Like cholesterol high statin. Boom. Like no questions. Why could could it be this? Could it could we do that? Could we what, what what's the big picture here? Maybe if you take a year and just do some of these things, like I mean, what will happen, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, there's clearly no big picture in kind of uh, medical science of what's driving mm-hmm. health. And so to even ask that question is, is why I appreciate Ray. And he's not the he's pulling from 
kind of even bigger giants in the field like Albert St. George and Otto Warburg and people like that. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah, you're totally right. So I wanted to like, you know, to, I, w- I definitely want to talk about Ray and all that stuff. I just want to give like a little bit like of a background. I mean, what started you like, you know, what started that you, you said, it sounds like veganism was your first kind of big experiment, experimental diet. What started your kind of, you know, um, inspiration to do that was it like were you were you always into fitness and stuff or or you know wellness whatever the fuck you want to call it these days but you know <laughs> what I'm saying <laughs> yeah no I this, this is like hard to think about my rationale for doing things but I I can kind of determine uh, or pinpoint a uh, we we had, our whole idea was fake it until you make it so we went on two European tours like we funded them ourselves mm-hmm. and we thought that if we were touring the like Europe that mm-hmm. labels would notice that and be like well these these guys have been a band for one year and mm-hmm. they're touring Europe and they have this EP like we should go we should go see what they're up to or whatever that's smart though man it's fucking smart I, I, well, so it actually works. So <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but so we did a really like bare bones, like difficult, hard tour uh, in the UK. And we wow. drove around a bunch of places and slept on floors and stuff. And then we did it again. And um, this is a I started just noticing my body kind of falling apart. And so I had like pretty intense anxiety mm-hmm. and insomnia. Obviously, my hair was falling out. Um, I had lost like erections in the morning and things mm-hmm. like that. So I just noticed some like oddities about my body. Mm-hmm. And so, again, our and how, old and this was, this, how old were you at this point? Sorry. Um, um, in my early 20s, I think. So early 20s, you started having all these crazy symptoms, and you were just, I mean, that, that, that uh, rock star life is fucking hard. It's crazy, <laughs> right, that some people can handle it, right? But you, don't, you, never, you rarely see people, you know, that handle it well, right? They, they, eventually, everybody breaks down. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I saw a lot of that. So, uh, anyways, mm-hmm. we, we do this second tour, and oddly enough, we get played on um, uh, Bruce Dickinson's radio show, and he was in Iron Maiden. And then a guy from Island Def Jam hears that, mm-hmm. brings it to a guy named Rob Stevenson. He, he, Rob Stevenson kind of signed the Killers and Fall Out Boy. Wow, and so big names. Talking, no, they, they were, at the time, they were like the biggest band yeah. in the entire world. Yeah. And so, so again, we were being prepped to be like a gigantic Island Def Jam act. And so awesome. when this stuff started coming to fruition and my, my health was failing, I was like, okay, nothing else matters except fixing your like broken body. Mm-hmm. And that I, of course I adopted the healthiest vi- diet you can possibly eat, but like, uh, to kind of, uh, toyed around with vegetarianism, then went straight into veganism. And mm-hmm. then that was a terrible mistake. Obviously. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so you get, you get, you had your band going on then you were, um, and then you, did you have a moment where you, the same kind of a pinpoint moment where you felt like veganism is just not for me? Was it when you yeah, were just starting I, losing weight? Yeah, I actually did. So I was losing weight and I had a huge base cabinet, like an 810. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen it? It's like a refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so my equipment was the heaviest out of everybody's equipment. And we were actually playing a place in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And normally I could pick up the 810 and move it myself. But I was so uh, weak that I was pushing it through a club or something, and we had to like jump downstairs, mm-hmm. and this like eight ten like collapsed on me. Oh wow! And a, a bunch of people were watching, and it was clearly because I like was so weak that I couldn't <laughs> even hold this eight ten. Oh man! And so that that was kind of a realization uh, that they, that stuff was bad, and mm-hmm. and so you immediately jumped to the complete other side, or, or was <laughs> it, <laughs> or was it like a gradual process to uh, become a, a carnivore meat zero carver? 
I mean, you might notice I'm like, I'm pretty all or nothing type of individual, you know, that was especially true for my younger self. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think I, I think I knew about paleo and then was like, okay, if this veganism doesn't work, then clearly the, the paleo stuff will work. And so I, I think I included eggs in my diet and Mm -hmm. felt better immediately from doing that. And, and, and then again, I, I started to look at veganism negatively and kind of side with the, the paleo people. Like that, that's what we didn't talk about. But like there's a lot, there's a community aspect of all of this that mm-hmm. can't be understated. Like people want to be a part of things. And yeah. so there's yeah, – Yeah, yeah. I was talking about that to a friend. It's like um, – yeah, does it really kind of come down to like nobody wants to be alone? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like it's so t- – right? Because it's like – also, also people don't like it if you're like in their community – and you mostly share their ideas, but then you say something like, like, here's a perfect example these days. Yeah, I don't think Trump's that bad. <laughs> like, try saying that in L.A. or in San Francisco. You will get your fucking head chewed off. You would get your head chewed off by the most compassionate, right, the most nicest people. And, you know, that it's like, it's like with, with, like, a vegan or vegetarian, right? It's like you ever gone – you ever done this experiment, like, going to a vegan store – and just like walk up to like the cashier and be like, "Hey, where's the bacon?" You know, <laughs> like they will fucking they will rip you a new one. You know, it's just like, it's it's tough for people. I, I, you're right. Like I think people want to really really identify with something because it's not fun being alone in some things, right? I guess people just kind of feel uncomfortable being there. On the flip side, though, I think if a person um, gets healthier, they don't want instruction, mm. and so I think I think. And, and th- this is not an argument for all like the individual indiv- individualistic because uh, that's like a kind of a bad part of the U.S. I think. Uh-huh. But again, I think I think you want to try to like figure it out yourself. And, and I don't have any any evidence to show you that that's the case. Right. But I I strongly suspect that is that is well, true. Well, everybody so- says that. Yeah, everybody says that. Like, do what works for you. Like everybody <laughs> throws that fucking thing around, right? Like like well, what works for me might not work for you. But then you'll tell them like. Well, I think you're doing this, and I, I, I don't. I think that that might be causing you this problem, and then they just go, "No," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's like, so you don't really cut, you know. Like, it's strange. It's strange times, and I, I fully do agree with you, though. I do think when people are healthy, I think they have a better reaction to sort of stuff like that, you know. Because if you truly, if it truly does work for you, I don't think you would ever get pissed about it, right? You're just like, yeah, you know, it works for me. Sorry. And, and and like uh, and so milk didn't like when I got kind of got into Ray's work. Obviously, he's a big advocate of milk. Like mm-hmm. milk didn't work for me, but I I probably had like a bacterial intestinal overgrowth like in my intestine. Mm-hmm. So so again, there's there's complicated things happening over a person's lifetime that can uh, really take a toll on their bodies, you know. And that's yeah. why that's why I think it's important to to figure out a lot of this stuff because. Um, like you live in your body, you know how you perceive and how what happens to your body when you eat X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And so I've told people this, but like whenever I like coach somebody, you know, my primary way way of making money is coaching. Mm-hmm. I, I take a kind of an arm length approach because I I I respect the development and journey of that person. Mm-hmm. You know, if they mm-hmm. have a question, I write I, I definitely give them all the information that's in my head or notes or whatever about that mm-hmm. specific question but i i understand that 
kind of development is very complicated and there's lots of different things going on in a person life, uh, person's life. For example, many people have told me like really traumatic things have happened to them like in childhood and stuff. And so mm -hmm. I'd have to be a maniac psycho to think like, oh, if they'd only followed my advice about eating the lychees, they would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead of just saying like, you should eat, you know, quantity of this fucking macronutrient because this is what works for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good, man. So, um yeah, so well, you know, you brought up race. So, you you got you went to the uh, you know, the other full side of carnivore and all that and uh how did you what was the did also did you have a a moment where you just kind of discovered Ray or uh what happened? How did you find out about the guy? I actually thought he was somebody else and thought I, I thought it was this guy <laughs> named Brian Peskin and okay. he was uh he was like I think that guy is like anti fish oil. Okay. And so I like conflated the two and I didn't really know who Ray was. But um uh Matt Stone deserves a lot of credit. He's this guy that do you know who he is? I do, I do. I've read a couple of his books, although he seems to kind of have disappeared, huh? Do you know what happened to yeah. him? I think he started making more money, uh, like selling eBooks, and I'm sure it's a better, better uh, <laughs> uh, quality of life doing that instead of fighting in the nutrition realm all the time. Oh yeah. But um, Matt was good. He was a pioneer. You know, he ruffled the feathers of like low carb people and vegan people, and so he was really doing his own thing. And he talked about the body temperature a lot. Mm -hmm. And so for for a long time, I just I didn't know who Ray was. And then I think Matt did a Ray May. Like he, in May, he would talk about Ray's ideas hmm. and Matt would try to debunk some of the things Ray was saying, but like, I didn't, I thought he wasn't doing a excellent, really good job. Uh -huh. and, and so again, that, uh, that made me really interested in, but, but Ray was very fascinating to me because he, he was talking about body temperature and mm -hmm. pulse rate. And those were things we, I kind of skipped over this, but those were things that majorly declined for me my okay. second year of zero carb. And so I, th that was my realization. Hey, the body temperature is actually important. And then this guy named Ray Pete has been talking about this forever. Yeah. And uh, and then hearing him talk, like he had a few early interviews, and I was like, there's something something legit and something real about this dude that isn't in like the fake product oriented health sphere of, that is a lot of his nonsense, like what we talked about earlier. And so mm -hmm. that yeah that. Uh, that just kept me motivated, you know, even mm -hmm. though it was totally over my head and I had no business even investigating what he was talking about because it's so complicated. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you said like your body temperature dropped down, uh, pulse rate dropped down, you just weren't feeling, and you said your hair was falling out, right? Did you, did before you got to, you know, Ray's work and Matt Stone and all that, did you try doing, you know, for hair loss, right? It's like the first thing I think doctors do is like Propecia, right? Pretty much in the U.S.? Yeah, I think 2000, it must have been 2005 when I tried, or 2005 or six when I tried finasteride. Mm -hmm. So that, that was even before I tried diet stuff. So I glossed over this, but like the hair stuff was the most meaningful to me. And that's why I was doing diet. So in addition to my body falling apart, mm -hmm. um, that's why I was like, okay, the, the drug, the pharma route is totally bankrupt. Why don't you try a nutritional route? Mm. And I, and I had done that because I used to be on a forum called regrowth.com. It might still exist, but it was like a baldness forum. And mm -hmm. one of the smart posters on there was saying that, uh, nutrition is really a, a good way to like solve hair loss. And so, so these mm. ideas were like seeded in my brain, like very, very early on mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. And what's because what, what, what's the experience with Propecia? You, you hear some people have great good results, although you know it's all questionable. Uh, I do hear a lot of guys just you know losing their dick drive completely, just <laughs> you know having no, no you know their dick takes a vacation as they say. Um, what was your experience with it? 
That, I mean, I was uh, a pretty big loser at that time, but so I wasn't very sexually active. But like, I think <laughs> I, I think towards the end of it, I did obtain a girlfriend and I could not have sex with her. And I think when I did ejaculate, it was extremely watery. And so these were things I had never heard about. I didn't know that they were supposed to happen. Like this was a time when I just the internet was like a different place in 2006 yeah. or six or whatever. Definitely. And so um, when I when I looked up on whatever search engine Alta Vista that I was using, like <laughs> dog, dog pile or whatever, like uh, I I think I found propitiahelp.com. And okay. so that's that website has been around for a very long time. And I was like, holy shit, I'm not going to like, jeopardize my future with this drug and so i stopped and then switched into diet mode and then supplements mode as well okay how long did you take it for at least uh, like a year around okay. a year's time i think okay yeah. okay and so but there wasn't much help with your hair as far as far as regrowth or there was this tiny bit no, no. and n- now that i noticed it would, and so i again it was i think it just had a uh, dampening darkening effect on like multiple areas of my life but it, it was so long ago it's hard to like accurately Mm-hmm. articulate like what exactly was happening because i don't think i was like aware of my what was going on so it's hard to like t- even talk about it mm-hmm. yeah man those um those so you know do you even talk about like you know m- male pattern baldness right because they they call it like it's like a thing right it's like <laughs> you either have it or you don't there's no such thing as like you know maybe something is wrong happening physiologically it's like either you know oh your your father had it so you gotta have it or you know how, how valid do you think that idea is well you're i mean you're totally right it's andro uh, androgenic uh, andro androgen genetic alopecia Mm -hmm. and so which doesn't mean fucking anything though really right like it well well well, they're implying how the the condition is manifesting so they're saying it's androgens and and genetics and then that's leading to this certain type of hair loss and so it's Mm -hmm. really difficult to talk about it because if i'm saying hey it's not manifesting in this this specific way a person will say well it's called androgenetic alopecia and so it's like it's caused by androgens and genetics uh, dummy and so that, there, there are like hundreds of that comment on my YouTube videos. You yeah. know? So, so I don't know, I don't know why, but I never believe, or except that time, I guess I was taking Propecia. I never really believed that this was a uh, valid explanation. Like, don't ask me why I have no idea. It just, it didn't seem like, I guess the balding people that I had been exposed to throughout my life, I don't mm-hmm. think I would like identify them as healthy. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's what like, something in my brain said that this doesn't add up. And I think these people are sick in some way, shape or form. And so that was kind of like my guiding, uh, like the navigating thought through, through everything. And then, then it, like kind of, um, crystallized in that book I had written in 2013 mm-hmm. and I, and I didn't have access to lots of papers about hair loss. So I was taking lots of liberties mm-hmm. <laughs> over the, the ideas that I was, uh, kind of putting out there. Mm-hmm. And since then, I think they, I've, found papers that I kind of missed that really validated a lot of the concepts. And so, mm-hmm. so again, the, the basic idea being that, uh, if a man or a woman lives long enough, they'll experience some degree of so-called male pattern baldness. Right. And I think it's just the, um, intensity of the aging process in that individual, which is leading to the loss of scalp hair. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I, there's a paper, I think it's 1996 by a guy named like Guerrero or something. Mm-hmm. And it, it says something like, um, Male pattern baldness is so common. Apparently, healthy people are in with hair are in the early stages of the process. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you said earlier, it's like <laughs> extremely difficult to like, like pinpoint when this is happen. When start, I right? Mean, it's, you, you can identify it visually when it's starting, but it's just, um, 
again, I think it's easier to think about as a manifestation of accumulation of stress over a long, uh, long period of time, mm-hmm. and just the uh, uh, and stress and aging are probably just interchangeable terms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, man, because what they're tr- it's well, it kind of comes down to uh, the industry kind of trying to normalize things, right? <laughs> like everybody gets that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's normal. It's normal, and I don't know, you know, right? It's like you do i think it does kind of come down to some people truly believe that and just others don't um so i mean with your experience with all the you know the pattern baldness stuff um i mean what do you think what what's your you know hypothesis or whatever what do you think is happening there what do you think is it a myriad of things could be happening is there do you think there's one kind of big 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 thing that's happening which causes this and you know so on and so forth yeah no i think uh so I, so you're right. I've talked to lots of lots of people, and I've like uh, seen lots and lots of lab work. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that typically you could identify on like standard labs is like a higher level of TSH, mm-hmm. a higher level of typically cholesterol, mm-hmm. a higher level of prolactin, and the so the and there are papers which which say that constellation is is part of so-called androgenic alopecia. Mm-hmm. But I think this is just a the kind of the mo of the person with the hypo metabolism. Mm -hmm. And so I think when the thyroid is low, there's a corresponding increase in adrenaline, cortisol, prolactin, aldosterone, uh, Mm -hmm. serotonin, and these things. And some of those have been actually studied in relation to better baldness. And and some of them have direct uh, um, effects on the hair follicle, switching it into that, uh, the catagen phase and uh, turning off the antigen, the growth phase into catagen, Mm -hmm. and then telogen. And so, um, yeah, like everybody knows stress causes hair loss like, you know it's like like well, that's not yeah well it's it's documented right you can definitely find papers right you can you know, definitely talk not, to uh-huh but, but i mean like if you if, if like if you were just talking not not ma- so-called male pattern baldness like i know that's a different i'm making a different claim there mm-hmm. but like if, if you talked about somebody during an extremely stressful episode of their life their parent passes away or they break up with their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever mm-hmm. um like i think i think it's many times out of 10 like a person will will identify with the 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 concept that they lost hair during that that period and so again mm-hmm. i'm just like extending that saying the the loss of hair over a lifetime uh, uh leading to this specific kind of horse in males leading to this horseshoe shape and in, in women it's slightly different mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think that is a similar process but way more intense over uh, over a longer period of time Yeah, kind of a sign of a stressed human yeah yeah hmm yeah because and and the 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 medical the 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 big industry kind of so their idea so when they say you know what did you call it again (laughs) i forgot (laughs) alopecia androgenic alopecia yeah yeah so is there any evidence because you know you do hear that a lot like oh that's guys that are uh you know have really high testosterone or guys that take steroids or testosterone uh, or trt testosterone replacement therapy is there i mean have you noticed is there a big correlation there that guys with higher testosterone usually go bald faster is that really true? No, in, no in fact, I have like a dozen papers which say at like literally everybody knows that uh, higher androgens mm-hmm. uh, aren't associated with male pattern baldness. Like that's the <laughs> that's the story, right. but it doesn't. It's never like reflected in actual research. In fact, there's a there. So the the explanation is actually that testosterone is uh, um, converted to dihydrotestosterone by five mm-hmm. alpha reductase, mm-hmm. and that. Finasteride. The the claim is that it's a five alpha reductase inhibitor, and that's how it is working. Mm-hmm. And 
And so again, you should see at least a higher level of dihydrotestosterone in people that are balding if this the story is true. But I, I can't remember the author. It's like, it starts with a U. But anyways, they test people and they find out there's zero difference in DHT among the control group and the people losing hair. And so, <laughs> so, so again, over and over. And so they have to add, like ad hoc their theory. And yeah. so they go, oh, it's not it's not a higher level. It's actually the hair follicle is more sensitive <laughs> to it. And so they, the the theory gets more complex over time it gets more incoherent and because i think it's not implementing the things that actually matter you know yeah. what i mean like they're yeah. not talking about the cortisol they're not talking about the prolactin they're not talking about the thyroid function yeah man and uh, i mean yeah it's 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 interesting because it's such a different how, how much do you think uh how much do you think it's even studied like genuinely studied in the medical industry like I, you know I, pattern baldness uh-huh yeah, there's a paper that says the non-genetic uh, causes have received little attention, and so mm -hmm. I, I think other people that other than me have have noticed that. But there are there are a few good papers here and there. Mm -hmm. Like there's a paper I always reference from a guy named Pitts et al. in like 1987, I think, and mm -hmm. they noticed that the younger males experiencing pattern baldness have higher levels of DHEA, so the dihydroepiandrosterone, mm -hmm. and that typically goes up with cortisol. And so you could say these people are extremely stressed, and they have high cortisol and high DHEA. Mm -hmm. And um, and again, there are just like papers here and there talking about it. So again, the idea is to like a kind of um, create a, 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 a grand scheme of how baldness is manifesting, not only in younger men, but also in women and all these different situations like neonatal male pattern baldness and things <laughs> like that. So, so again, it's extremely hard to say genetics and androgens are responsible for neonatal male pattern baldness, right. uh, we didn't talk about it, but like uh, 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 <laughs> men, uh, uh -huh. boys and girls upon being uh, birthed, lose their hair in a typical male pattern baldness fashion. And oh, then wow, they, that's interesting. They regain their hair like a year or two later. Have you ever seen a, like a bald baby with a yeah, horseshoe? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, I, I didn't know there's a, a term for it. <laughs> oh, I, I made it up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you're saying, well, okay, but you're saying that that's what's happening. Okay. And so could you explain more? Yeah. So, so again, I, I wouldn't, I would say the same factors that are causing the adult to lose hair are happening in the child, but the, the child, because their uh, regenerative capacity is so high during youth, like they haven't been harmed with an excess of polyunsaturated fats and all the, I mean, maybe they've been exposed to some harm depending on the mother and uh, I don't know the uh, situation of uh, um, the process of being mm -hmm. born, mm -hmm. but um, yes, yeah, there's some evidence that the, that there's a very high prolactin level. Mm -hmm. uh, when the baby is born and also like an oxygen deficiency, slight hypoxia and things like mm -hmm. that. So I would expect those things to contribute towards to the, the grand scheme of things of losing hair over yeah, time. And it's a lot of things, you know, like, um, looking at your work and reading a lot of your stuff, it's like, uh, I'd call you like, you know, like right now it's like uh, the biohackers are uh, popular. I'd call you like the anti-biohacker. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> because it's like um, the biohackers thing. It's like, okay, I, the answer, if I was losing my hair, the biohackers thing would be like, take this supplement. It comes from the whale's balls of, you know, our great art, you know, the great Arctic Ocean, whatever. And then your way is kind of when you talk about these things. It's uh, it's like yeah, hypoxia and prolactin and, and estrogen and thyroid and so many things, and I think I think you get a lot of flack for that, uh, you know, people because people don't like the people don't want to hear that they, they don't want they don't want Danny to tell them a hundred things that they're doing wrong. They just want Danny, Danny, tell me what I do, and if it doesn't work immediately, <laughs> you're an asshole. <laughs> Am I right? 
<laughs> well, uh, I mean, you definitely, uh, again, it's like a, de a developmental process. And so getting a person, I don't know how effective I, I am at this, you know, but getting a person to, re to reflect on their own life, I think is important. Like how they got to that, that position that they're in and uh, their own relationship with stress, you know? Yeah. And so, so again, uh, and, and I've told this story too, but like I had a friend who had digestive problems and, uh, and he was getting into Ray's stuff. And I mentioned, I was like, Oh, you know, you, you might be benefited from uh, using an antibiotic, but you could just tell he was kind of fresh to Ray's stuff. And I think he was coming from a paleo background mm -hmm. and you could tell he's like, did not want to hear that. That was like <laughs> not a thing that he was thinking about doing, but like yeah. six months, six months later, he, uh, read somewhere else that about using antibiotic and then, uh, like messaged me to say, you know what I think would really help me is like an antibiotic. And so, <laughs> so like people go through their own process of figuring out what would be useful to them yeah. and like in obtaining information that makes sense. And again, like we talked about earlier, that's a like coherent, mm -hmm. I think that is extremely rare. And so again, this is something I'm obviously very biased, but I think Ray has put together, um, I don't know. It's like this map of, of the body and you can use it. It's not finished, you mm -hmm. know, but you can use it and you can hopefully solve some problems. But, but again, that's like a, it's like a, I hate to sound so lame, but it's like a personal journey of exploration. And no, it, man, I don't think it's lame. I think that's the right way of putting it, you know, because it, it's also really good. It's really important for people to be open to like you said growing like and everybody says that every you know biohacker whatever you know gr growth personal growth books that you get it's always like yeah people talk about these things right like i'm open to growing and i'm open to learning but like sometimes they're not <laughs> because, <laughs> because they just want to stick to that thing right and like you said and so, and i've been there too where it's like you know five years ago this idea was so foreign for me but this happened and then this happened and this happened and now I'm in this situation and now it doesn't feel that foreign and like that's okay like but I think a lot of people just kind of like you said you know whether it be you know androgenic alopecia okay that's it that you know I called it that like in five years it's still going to be androgenic alopecia it's not going to be so, I, I, even if I get more information I'm still going to stick to my guns right I'm not going to like even be open to this thing that oh well you know maybe maybe I wasn't ready for it five years ago and like that's totally okay which is I think that's the vibe that I get from Ray's stuff is like you know, sometimes he'll give people advice on some of those old recordings, right, from, like, the radio shows. And you can just kind of tell that he's just, like, giving them advice. And the person's like, no, I don't want to eat cheese. And he's like, well, okay, how about milk? You know, he's just, like, he's trying to get them in the right direction. And people kind of want to hear that, like, give me give me the thing. And if it's not it, I don't want it. Fuck you, right? Dude, thank you. Thank you for saying that. That I, I, that was made a big impression on me. So uh -huh. somebody did call in and they were like, what, what about sources of calcium? And Ray's like, Oh, milk and cheese are the best. And the person uh -huh. was like, Oh, I'm a vegan. I don't eat, I don't eat those. And he would be like, um, kale, kale and spinach. And mm. the person would be like, I hate kale and spinach. And be like, <laughs> yeah. be like, okay. Uh, uh, or, or I'm sorry, I reversed the order, but like maybe eggshells. And then the person said they were vegan and then kale and spinach was the last one. Uh -huh. And so again, it's like descending order of like, the most optimal to like yeah. least optimal. But again, he's meeting the person where they are yeah. instead of being like, well, if you don't eat milk and cheese, you're, you're screwed and you're never going to get better. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like this incremental, this baby steps. It just, it takes time. If people really have to be open to changing their own mind and they're just not sometimes. Right. And that's okay. But you know, <laughs> it's probably a good but, idea. 
Well, I think it's a physiological thing. I think it uh, say say somebody has digestive problems, they implement the carrot, and they have more real biological energy for a grander perception of things and then they're mm-hmm. able to question and and see what's going on and so i think uh i think it not to sound corny or anything but i think it is your physiology allowing different things to fall into place and things like that that's a good that's one kind of thing i wanted to bring up to you you know um i think that's the other problem with the you know the the state of nutrition and fitness industries is like it seems like everything is targeted at you having a six pack. And if you have a six pack, you're golden, you're healthy, <laughs> uh, you're good. That diet must work, you know, <laughs> and you must be on it, right? It, it, rarely do people say, like, uh, well, you know, my, my mood improved, like, overall. I stopped being such a fucking little asshole all the time, you know? <laughs> like, and that's one thing you mentioned earlier, right? You said when you were vegan, you were kind of grumpy and angry. And I definitely think that's true. And, but I, I don't think, people talk about that stuff a lot they, to a lot of people health is like uh, health equals six pack or just being lean or being muscular right yeah yeah you know through this whole thing i think i've learned that there are some things worse than not having your like dream body you know what i mean <laughs> and so and uh so again i think a, like a percentage of the people i've talked to i'm like trying to convince them not to kill themselves you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and so so it's just like i realize that is a huge uh part about the the health world like getting this adonis physique if you're a man or whatever mm-hmm. but that that's never the angle that has been like the the motivating driver for me you mm-hmm. know and mm-hmm. so and and then for what it's worth you know i've talked to people that did have near perfect physiques like in san francisco and then online too and like like some of these people have like really serious like problems you know what i mean and so yeah. It's just like I think it's a is misnomer the right word. It's like to think that somebody is like okay just because they have a six pack or whatever. I think mm-hmm. is just wildly in, inaccurate. And so yeah, because early on in those early two thousands, that like that big uh, quote was like uh, if you don't wear it, don't share it. You know, it, it was all like focused on like if you look fucking good, you're good. You know, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Listen to me. But then you know, and and because you know. Looking back too, and I, I've been in that headspace too, though honestly, because you know sometimes you look at a person and they don't look impressive. You think like, well, I'm healthier than them, obviously. <laughs> but like you know, nowadays I'm starting to change my mind a lot about that. Where I'm like, because you know, yeah, because you rarely see like you know people who are advanced in, in their you know I don't know seventies, eighties, where they're you know they have a six pack. Most of them are just chilling. They look normal. But, you know, the healthy ones are always in a good mood. And, you know, it's like other things you can judge them on, I think. <laughs> That's the thing, like broadening the sc- like the um, scope of what is and isn't healthy. So, again, this goes back to my time in San Francisco. It's like mm-hmm. you uh, you are hanging out with somebody, but they are so rigid in their point of view and cannot have a conversation with you about, like, anything. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so I would not – really consider that a amazing metric of health you know mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i i think and, and sometimes that's like a social like that um we didn't really talk about it like the high serotonin or whatever that can be from like digestive problems and so that the, the per, you can't always tell what a person happening in a person's intestines when you're just like meeting them for the first time or whatever yeah. so and, and i've had lots of things like that of uh, like knowing people for a long time and because i'm the health person them saying hey you know my libido is totally gone or mm-hmm. my digestion is totally terrible or something like that and so it just like eliminates the facade that 
everybody's not uh, everybody's doing well except me you know what i mean and it's like oh i gotta get my shit together it's like no everybody's being harmed and everybody's uh sick in some way yeah. but it's just uh depends on the per- how you're um describing sickness or whatever yeah it's probably also again it's like and when they come to you and tell you my libido is bad and, and you give them advice, I think a lot of times people try that advice for two or three days <laughs> and then they're like, doesn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, or like you say, do this. And then they say, I started doing that and I gained five pounds. And I think people have to be like very weary of like, okay, that's just one metric. Okay, maybe you did get some. Maybe you did start eating more sugar or whatever, fruits, and you did gain five pounds. Now, here's the question. is like, is that the only metric that you're measuring your health by, right? Like, but what about your mood? What about your sleep? What about your sex drive, right? All this stuff. It's like, why don't you look at all those other things? Because, again, people were so brainwashed into just being fucking focused on the body that's what i'm saying that's why i'm starting to like completely peel away from that <laughs> fitness industry stuff because again so I, i'm just like you man i've worked with them and i work around them these people who look great man look great first of all the ones that are really look good they're 99.9 times out of 10 percent whatever nine, nine times out of 10 they're on steroids they're doing testosterone trust me it's prevalent everybody's doing it so it's like it doesn't really tell me anything anymore you know and it's just one one aspect of that thing so i think people have to be more patient with trying stuff when they try stuff it's like okay maybe you're my mood improved but i gain weight maybe it's not a terrible thing you improved your mood right like jesus give it some fucking time maybe you'll lose the weight over over time right yeah, there's a William Blake quote, and it's something like enlightenment is taking full responsibility for your life. Mm-hmm. And so, so again, I'll preface that with we're in a really bad environment that's harming lots of people. And I don't know about you, but I grew up eating like cinnamon toast crunch and gushers <laughs> and fruit by the foot and all this junk. But I think I think even acknowledging it's like yeah, I had a, my childhood nutrition was not optimal. I had like 32 vaccines when I was was a child, and uh, and I went through the ringer with uh, x-rays and braces and things like that. All mm-hmm. that stuff contributes to health problems, I think. And so I think acknowledging that and then moving forward with some information that that makes sense, you know, I think that's important. But you're right. A lot of people, uh, and again, uh, this is a cultural problem, you know, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think don't want to necessarily take re- responsibility for things. Uh, and, and again, I, there, there were, I've known people like that, that in six months or a year, we're ready to, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just the it's just the course of development. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Let people be patient with themselves, too. Right. It's just that people are sometimes not patient. That's what I'm saying. It's like you give somebody advice and, you know, it's so common. Just boom. OK, it doesn't work or this one tiny little thing happened. So it must be bullshit. It must be stupid what you're telling me, the advice, you know. Yeah. And also, I think the little wins are important, you know, so. Mm-hmm. So if a person doesn't notice any perceivable difference, like it, why would they continue to do it? You know, so yeah. so it has, the the information has to be effective in some way, shape, or form. But um, but yeah, some people are just more curious and interested than other people. You know, like I what when I got into race work and I, I realized how many different kind of avenues there were to go down. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wait to try like everything. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of people. Um, don't have that like extreme curiosity mindset. So yeah, so, yeah. and that's okay. So I mean, <laughs> what was the, <laughs> what was the like when you got into the Ray's work and stuff? Was it like a, a immediate kind of big change? I mean, did you like unplug from everything, or was it a slow process that you got to this new kind of 
way of thinking and eating and no, doing it was, all sorts it of was, things? It was very bad. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah? So I, 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 uh, TMI, but I had like a diarrhea with milk and orange juice that I was drinking. Oh, yeah. Um, the carry salad was noticing benefits pretty quickly, so that was uh, kind of on the menu pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. The thing that really uh, – like the little win immediately that I had was I started eating eggshells when I stopped milk for a while mm-hmm. and su- super TMI. But like I, I was, I had broke <laughs> up with one girlfriend, but I had like amazingly met a new girl. And this was like before dating apps and stuff. So I just never met anybody. So I really wanted to like re- keep this relationship intact. Okay. And so I realized immediately when I saw her that I was going to have to start having the old libido issues that I had with the previous girlfriend that probably in some way, shape or form, like contributed to the actual like, breakup and uh-huh. so i was like oh my god and anyways i started taking eggshells and noticed that fixed the problem almost like immediately uh-huh. and so i here i was this person that had been like studying health that was so, so smart on all these different um par- uh, parts of the system uh and like supplements and things i i had neglected calcium and here calcium fixed my three-year-long problem that I had like no answer for, that I had tried testosterone sipidate and all these different uh, really intense bazooka-like um, mm, mm. supplements to try to fix my problem. And I just needed more calcium. Mm, interesting. So those, th- those little types of things motivated me to keep keep going forward. Yeah. And so, oh, so you tried testosterone. So how'd that go with you? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tried testosterone kind of... Um, I, it was a doctor in Southern California that was like an anti-aging doctor, and I kind of like muscled him into giving me to stop. I think he first gave me androgel, and I would rub it on my shoulders, okay. and then and I realized all the guys on the bodybuilding forums were doing testosterone sipinate, and so I tried that. I think he gave me 50 milligrams of DHEA twice a day, which is like a monstrous. That's a fucking dose, my man. <laughs> DHEA and. Um, I don't think I was like on a, an aromatase or maybe I convinced him to give me like a Remedex or something later or something. But um, I felt <laughs> you, totally... you, you pulled that from all the uh, steroid uh, kind of forums right away. Huh? You got a Remedex, didn't you? <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I was um, – we didn't really talk about this, but I was like fascinated with steroid forms. Oh, And so okay. like people recovering from steroids, like uh, all things male, mm-hmm. my, uh, mind and – Mes- mesomorphosis was one of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i don't all there were a bunch of other ones i forgot um but yeah i noticed almost nothing if anything i probably felt worse and one time i was probably suicidal and wow. like so it, so i think it d- did a number on my psyche i think it was being converted to estrogen mm, mm. interesting because a lot of people are in trt these days it's ramping up you know it's huge there's clinics everywhere you know that you don't even have to go to your doctor you just go to these you know especially in california and florida places like that you just go to these uh natural health people and they just give you trt like there's you know no problem i i I was interested when you were talking to kyle that you could like identify the differences maybe was it the last or something yeah yeah like you oh you can definitely see it you know (laughs) trying it out and again i have experience with it i tried it so (laughs) yeah you're definitely your your delts pop out more and your traps too um but it's just it's it's definitely it's just a look you know that you know that when you pull out that men's health magazine that guy that's just super dry and you see every vein and he's shredded listen my man He's on steroids. <laughs> okay. I mean, and also like, but again, but the big thing, it's like, you know, because when you say that people immediately like, you're just being a hater. 
The Rock is natural. You know, like, are you fucking <laughs> crazy out of your... You know, it's, I'm not saying The Rock doesn't wake up at 5 a.m. and travels to whatever he fuck he travels to and, and gets his cardio in. I, I'm, I know he's a hard worker. I'm not denying that he's a hard worker, but I am going to tell you that he's on steroids. And because these unachievable looks, you know, they're just, they're unachievable, you know, with natural causes. Unless if you have the best genetics, some guys do look pretty good, but there's just still a look that, you know, it's, it's different. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I've talked to a few people taking testosterone, and the the thing that seemed noticeable was uh, real hyperactivity. Yeah. And, and so, I again, I would, without, well, some of them, I saw their blood work, but it seemed like, I, I wonder if how much of that was being converted to estrogen, probably a lot, because Ray thinks uh, four milligrams of testosterone is how much, like, a muscular young man makes. Wow. And that's, that's a lot. So little compared to a hundred yeah. or two hundred um, every few days. That's I, I don't know what the what the fat is now, but the, I think a yeah. hundred is how much I was taking. Every it's a hundred hundred a week. Yeah, it depends on the uh, form. You know, cypionate, ethionate, anthionate, or whatever. All these forms that they have now. But that's but that's not what a, what those uh, big boys are taking. Some yeah, of those yeah. guys are taking uh, a gram. You know, some of them. <laughs> no, seriously, some of them are taking a lot. So, yeah, man, it's it's crazy times. Um, so if you have a client that comes to you and, you know, he wants to, to try TRT, you probably wouldn't recommend it as the first thing, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, I t- try to talk somebody out of it, I think. And, but again, with thi- we didn't really talk about it, but thyroid, it has a long history of being connected to so-called hypogonadism or low testosterone. Mm. And so that um, that should be explored, I think. That's a more physiological starting place, I think, and it's a more fruitful starting place than going immediately to st- testosterone. Mm. And so it's it's kind of criminal that these doctors prescribing testosterone to the people that just want to feel better, not like the mus- the people that have some aesthetic to keep or something. Right. Like the fact that they're getting testosterone, I know it's common to feel better within the first few months or days or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's a little bit, uh, I don't know, idiotic that they immediately go on testosterone. Like the, I, they almost certainly have thyroid problems. Yeah. Do you think they could cause some pro, uh, some just taking testosterone? What kind of problems do you think it can cause if you're taking too much or just too that's, often? That's a good question. I'm not super uh, intimately uh, aware of the side effects. I, there obviously are some, but I mm-hmm. think that conversion to estrogen would be the biggest issue. Like you just take a. I think I have a paper that said like 30 or 40 percent of it was converted to estrogen. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, nobody wants to increase their estrogen. And that's, I think, under stress, like a low a hypogonad, uh, a, a hypogonadal person is likely under, uh, a, a, has a proportionally greater amount of metabolic stress. And so putting mm. testosterone into that system, I think it's likely to aromatize. And so, so if you're like using testosterone, then you have to use like an AI or like an aromatase inhibitor to it. Like that seems, um, I don't know, like a slippery slope. You're playing this game, right? Yeah, like they do with with statins or whatever, right? You're just taking this one little bit and you're just throwing it in there. Let's raise that up. But what the fuck else is happening? Yeah, I don't know. I had kind of, uh, I, I never went crazy with it or anything, but just over the years. Um, have you ever heard of Charles Poliquin? You ever heard of oh, yeah. Isaac? Yeah. So you know he passed away, and he was, I mean, he was obviously on steroids <laughs> <laughs> on trt you know i'm sure he was just using trt he had some heart problems and then recently another guy who's john meadows is pretty famous guy in the in the bodybuilding world um had a heart attack you know he's he's good he didn't he didn't die but you know it, it, you know so it got me thinking about all this stuff i'm like I, I don't know you know and also man 
when you're in your 50s, what the fuck do you want to look like that anyways for, right? Like, come on. <laughs> like, it's, it's, I guess, like you said, man, there's just this, like, levels of, like, uh, bullshit that we've built up on ourselves. And it's like, we my, just, yeah. My- yeah. My perfect aesthetic is a uh, rich Piana, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's that. Nat- He's natural, though. <laughs> yeah, it's another guy that died, right? To- oh, my God. Rest in peace, you know? R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah, peace be with him. So, um, so race stuff, a lot of times. Oh, first of all, I want to say this. I think there's a lot of people that um, I want to give you credit, man, because a lot of people these days and i'm not like super deep rape peter you know what i'm saying like you've got you and 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 kyle have you know been on all that stuff much longer than me but just from what i see nowadays happening on instagram and all that world i see a lot of people like um using um his stuff basically plagiarizing his shit and never giving him credit uh and kind of passing it on as their own work like uh well you know this is why and it's like this is directly from (laughs) rape peace website (laughs) like you even posted the same references you know (laughs) but then they'll do they'll they'll like they'll say something like uh like like sourdough bread sourdough bread is good and to kind of make themselves seem like they 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 created their own thing like it's like they didn't just plagiarize this man's work <laughs> and then just kind of you know and they never mention anything about him or never give him credit and i want to give you credit because like i said wherever i i see you talking in your writings you always giving him credit i think you're like the one guy that's like you you don't just pass this work on as yourselves only although you do do a lot of your own research and you have great articles on your website and all that stuff but it's just i think it's it's important that you do that <laughs> So, uh, I I talked to somebody. I, so I I did things that I think are un, unconscionable uh, early on, uh-huh. and so I I think I I was more like the people that you're talking about. I think I I was like, oh, I have this information. It's like hidden, and so therefore I am now like a purveyor of this information, and yeah. I'm going to tell everybody about it. And so I I very much had like this authoritarian approach to tell like telling people what to do yeah. and like wanting to be that Chris Cresser type of authority. Like that's what I wanted, you know, and. Um, and then again, over time, identifying that behavior as like extremely problematic and probably tightly associated my own physiology. You like, I think you step, step away from it, but, um, man, I will die a happy person if, uh, I turn people on to Ray, mm-hmm. you know, I, I take zero credit for like anything, uh, health related or physiology related that I've, I've really ever done. It's always been massively inspired by him. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so I actually asked somebody one time, it did kind of annoy me, like a similar type of thing. And I, I hit somebody up uh, in the health field and they were like, oh, you know, Ray has such a bad reputation. I didn't want to, I didn't <laughs> want to like actually mention his name because then people wouldn't take it seriously. And I was like. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, so, you know, I think of him as like uh, that band, you know, like that band that you discover like on whatever <laughs> on fucking Spotify and like, no, they have like a thousand plays. Nobody knows them yet. And like, and, you know, and like years go by and you never never tell anybody about this band but like maybe you play their music and you don't want to tell them what it is i think of ray is that way right because i see so many people like just directly plagiarizing his stuff and never ever giving him credit and uh, like i said like it's not that you can't do that it's not that you can't take somebody because that's the whole point of living i guess you know we're all like learning from each other and and building up on each other's stuff i just think that it's um i just don't like it because like you said people will plagiarize him and then 
um, established himself as the authority of that work. That's what I don't like. <laughs> yeah, the, the great thing about this is Ray doesn't care. <laughs> like Ray, that's the great so, thing. <laughs> like doing his own thing, and um, yeah, man. I, again, like he, he's such. Again, I'm biased, but I think he's like an amazing person. So just like mentioning him as the purveyor of this information as many po times as possible is kind of the the I don't know, modus operandi now. I think just mention. Because, again, the work that he's put together, I don't think people understand how many newsletters he has. You know, he has, like, hundreds. Yeah. And every time he has a new newsletter, like, he's putting some, like, part of the puzzle together that I've never even heard of before. Like, uh, the cholesterol esters that mm -hmm. he wrote about a few newsletters ago. I've, like, never even heard of that anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so this this dude that's almost 90 is, like, putting together new, synthesizing new info. Mm -hmm. And so, like, wh what a testament to his curiosity and his... Um, I don't know what he's been able to accomplish to be able to continually do this, you know, like I, I, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. I, I'm also coming to a place where I'm like, um, you mentioned, you know, he's like almost 90. Like I'm very weary nowadays of taking advice from somebody who's like 25 or some shit, even if they have a PhD and probably especially if they have a PhD and that age, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I just mean like, you know, uh, <laughs> You know, like, I, my background, I did a lot of martial arts. And it's like, in martial arts, it's like, you have a lot of respect for older guys that are still doing the martial arts. And they may not be as strong as the younger guys, and they may not be, you know, as, as quick and, uh, you know, to, to, do, to do whatever they're doing. But if they're still doing it, you know that they must be doing something right or they're onto something. So I always try to take advice from, like, Elder people, I think it's important. Now, some of them are fucking crazy, of course, but they're probably all crazy their whole life. <laughs> but I do think that's important, you know, that there's this guy, like you said, that's almost 90, who's still coherent, he still writes a lot of stuff, and I definitely want to, I definitely prefer listening to him, or at least I, trying out his advice before I try out a, a guy's advice who's like 32, and he just graduated, you know, college, whatever, he got his PhD even, you know, and it's just like he's just getting this thing going, like... I, I don't know. I think life experience does matter, man. <laughs> I, I I couldn't agree more, you know? And so, yeah. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, totally. It <laughs> like, he's old. It doesn't mean he's right, you know, right. just because of his age. But of course. That, that, that wisdom that he exudes, you know, I think is important. And also another thing is, like, um, so I have, like, I don't know uh, how, how long I've been in the health world. I don't know, like, for 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. Like, people come and go all the time. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so they're here with like these strong opinions and then they disappear into the ether and you never hear of them again. Like I think like 30% of the people that in like the ancestral health symposium, mm -hmm. like these big, these big names, I'd never even heard. They're never seen them for a long time, you know? Exactly. And so, so that's the thing. Uh, and, and again, you know, I, uh, Ray maintaining that passion, uh, I think it's just something that, um, not a lot of people do, you know, yeah. to continually work on different aspects of the system and stuff. I think yeah, and like I read some of his older books, and it's like some stuff is a little d different. He, he says things that he probably maybe doesn't say as often now, and like that's okay, right? I think that's good. Um, but you know, the central theory being is that like he's trying to learn, he's trying to give you good advice. He's not, he doesn't seem to be, um, you know, stuck on one. You know, he he, he doesn't have his foot down on like. Again, because like you said, you go to the symposium. They're at the this guy's at the uh, ancestral symposium, 
And then five years go by, then he's at the vegan symposium and he completely changes <laughs> his whole fucking vibe, right? Because that's what's happening with a lot of like, vegans online right now, right? Like a lot of vegans are falling out and they're becoming carnivores or they're just eating meat and then all the other vegans are fucking hating on them now. It's just like creating this craziness. <laughs> his theory of like energy and structure are interdependent at every level. That is um, a theme throughout all of his work. So mm-hmm. so even though like if you, if you read Nutrition for Women, which I think he wrote in 1973 or 75, Mm-hmm. Like there, he does say things slightly different in that book, um, mm-hmm. but but again, the underlining theme of what he's working with the foundation is the same. Mm-hmm. So I think he just tightened that up over time, uh, and and so again, it's uh, but but how like poetic is the idea that real biological energy is animating life? Like, mm-hmm. are you gonna go? Are you gonna debunk that? Well, explain that more. Like, I'm curious. You know, like, do, do, what do you think is like the you know, the Ray Pete's point of view about health, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think the young child making uh, energy, you know, taking mm-hmm. food, turning into electrons, passing it through the cell to fo- form, uh, to oxygen, to form carbon dioxide, ATP, and water. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that's called mitochondrial respiration or oxidative metabolism, that the, the speed and the efficiency at which energy is generated through this process is maintaining the structure of the person. Mm-hmm. And so I think the PUFA or the environment, the EMF, uh, the stress a person has accumulated over their lifetime, uh, things like vaccines even, like all those things I think can interfere with that oxidative metabolism over a person's lifetime, slow it down, and then a person can uh, uh, produce energy through a more inefficient means such as glycolysis. Mm-hmm. And that's just not sustainable over a long time for, I think, um, uh, per, like perfecting a person's structure. And so I think there, there's an inevitable breakdown process that occurs, like an imperfect repair. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that, that really, I think that's the, the simple way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, in biology, there's this thing um, that they call it the central dogma of biology, right? And they actually call it that. Could you explain that a little bit? <laughs> oh, I'm a bad person. So, <laughs> this, is, this is kind of but I, the, what I understand, uh, I, hope, I hope I don't screw this up. I think the D, the the DNA goes mm-hmm. to the RNA, mm-hmm. uh, so the nucleus to the, R, the DNA to the RNA, and so basically the information of the cell is only going outwards, and mm-hmm. so nothing can like inform the cell to like. Uh, change its DNA. And so, again, I'm not the person to talk about this, but like Dennis sure, Noble, sure. he has a uh, graph in one of his videos that okay. instead of like a one-way street of the the DNA to the RNA to outside the, in, the inner cell, the outside, mm-hmm. he says it's like a two-way street where uh, what's happening around the cell can inform the the change of the structure or the material in the actual cell. And so, so yeah, like the environment of the cell matters how it how it functions and things like that. But the, yeah. but the, the central dogma is this like idea that things are unchangeable. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what I I guess that's what I'm pointing at more is just like that. And it's funny that they actually call it the central dogma, right? It's it's, it, it's <laughs> exactly, if yeah. you look it up in a in a biology book, I don't know if people know it. Yeah, that's actually what it's referred to as. So it's so it's interesting. And so I guess Ray's work would be like. Um, so you're basically you know. I guess the hypothesis is like uh, uh, emulating youth, right? Is that kind of the idea, the central idea, would you say? I think that's a really great great way to put it. So Mm -hmm. if you measure like a healthy 5 or 10-year-old, you're going to notice they have a high pulse rate and a high underarm temperature. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, I have a reference that I posted on my Twitter or whatever, but it said that when a newborn baby has a pulse rate of like 140 
And then by the the person 12 years old, it's dropped to like 85. And mm -hmm. so I think this is like the free fall of the person's metabolic rate over their lifetime. So okay. it goes from 140 to 85. And so, um, so yeah, that's the basic idea, the slowdown of the metabolism mm -hmm. and um, this like pseudo hypoxia, the generation of free radicals and things like that, that, ca that cause damage to cells and tissues and structures and things like that. Right. Because there is a different point of view of that stuff though, right? There is the point oh. of view of like, your metabolism slows down and it should slow down and maybe you don't want your metabolism to be as fast. Now, have you found any papers or any, I don't know, groups of people that have that thinking that it, and, and that it works for them that like, you know, they have a slow, maybe they eat less and less and less as they get older and it still works for them and they have good, um, health, uh, you know, outcomes and stuff. There's a paper it's on rodents, but it's called it's by a guy named Speakman and I think it's called like living fast dying when mm -hmm. and so they they compare the two models the um, oh, rate of living rate of living theory and then I think it's called um, something uh, uncoupled and surviving I think is what they call but hey, it's, it's very repeatish so speeding up the metabolism rather than slowing it down and they they say many things in that paper that jives with what Ray is saying, that they mm -hmm. thought that speeding it up would increase the generation of free radicals, but it actually decreased it. Mm. And I think the, the mice that had the faster metabolism lived uh, exponentially longer than the, the slow metabolic ones. So where does that idea come from that, you know, because a lot of people know the idea of like, don't feed the mice as much, they'll live longer. Is that well, from one experiment or, yeah? Well, Ray, Ray talks about this, but just by not feeding the animal or the human uh were they feeding them less food also necessitates feeding them less PUFA, less heavy metals and a bunch of other toxic shit in our food supply. Right. So, so I think there's uh, that can be a confounding variable. Um, what was, what was your question? Yeah, I was, I was just wondering, you know, so where does that come from? That, cause like, like I said, a lot of people think that it, in oh. some, in some way it makes sense, right? Like eat less, you'll be burdening your digestive system uh, less, right? You, it won't be always working. Maybe, you know, it's like a, a car. Just leave it alone sometimes. Don't let it kind of burn out, I guess. Oh, I think Raymond, per uh, Raymond Pearl is the guy that's responsible. So he, I think he coined mm. the rate of living theories to slow things down to live longer. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of feel like, I'd, rather than talking about this like theoretically, like I kind of feel like I I experienced that, especially while veganism being so cold. Yeah. <laughs> so so I was like the poster boy for like just uh, a slow metabolism, and so I think there are so many side effects to that way of living or or believing those types of things that it's it's hard to imagine anybody even want to live a long time mm. feeling like that, you know? Yeah. And so so again, I I think the the childhood old uh childhood metabolism old metabolism is is like the best example because if you have a healthy 10 year old you really think slowing down their metabolism is going to make them healthier no it's like the difference between old age and this youth is the, is this change in metabolism and so yeah yeah um, it's it's interesting you know just thinking about it right because like you know nowadays i'm seeing so many parents like with their kids like their kids want food and give them sugar and it seems like the kids that are trying, the, the parents that are trying to emulate like the adults' diets, you know, the kids always seems to be the ones that are crazy and throwing tantrums, right? Because like, you know, they're like, don't eat the ice cream. They're like, eat the broccoli, and the kids don't want to <laughs> fucking eat it. But like, but like the parent again, the parents have a good intentions, right? They have this like idea of like, well, that's what adults eat, and we eat like this, and maybe the kids should too. But yeah, it doesn't seem really to jive together, do those <laughs> those ideas? Yeah, no, Emma talks about this, uh, how uh, 
treating your own kids and noting, noticing little uh, nuances in behavior based on what they've eaten. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, this probably stems back to just the institutional failure of, of telling people what to eat, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, big problem. Yeah, man. So, so, so much of Ray's work, uh, it seems like his advice for a lot of questions um, uh, questions seems to be like uh, something to do with calcium, something to do with vitamin D um, and thyroid. Why is it like you know from with your experience with thyroid? I mean, is, does it seem like thyroid is just like the master regulator of so many things or what? <laughs> I think so. Ray called it the the anti stress hormone, and mm-hmm. so. I think the basic idea is that when your thyroid is suppressed, that increases your reliance on things like adrenaline and cortisol and aldosterone and prolactin and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so the a person can look these up, but they they have catabolic functions. They're not. Uh, I don't think anybody's arguing for like high levels of aldosterone or parathyroid hormone. They 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 have uh, negative functions over a long period of time. They're just for, I think they're just for a momentary increases like in times of stress. Mm-hmm. And so Ray has a very poetic viewpoint of it like there's a interview with gary knoll where he talks about how um like the thyroid is what differentiates us from uh like highly proliferative fungus and and um other types of organisms like in the animal kingdom hmm. and so so yeah I, I think he's i don't want to put words in his mouth but like it's a evolutionarily advanced organ to maintain our highly specific specialized structure and when it's suppressed, we kind of revert back to that um, blob-like, highly proliferative phase, kind of similar to the out-of-control growth of cancer. Mm-hmm. And so so if you look at before and afters of people that take thyroid hormone, they mm-hmm. – I was talking about this with Ray and Georgie a few weeks ago. But they have like more like blob-like appearances, like their features kind of blend together. Mm-hmm. And they develop something under their skin called like mucopolysaccharide. So it looks like they're obese, but they're just like really hypothyroid. Mm-hmm. And so – I wrote a Barnes was the guy uh, hypothyroidism, the unsuspected illness, but he wrote just volumes about uh, his experience with thyroid hormone and prescribing it to people that had like d- depression, constipation, arthritis, uh, just whatever symptom you name it, like Broda would prescribe it to the person. Yeah. And I think increasing that biological energy could, could improve virtually any situation. Yeah. Bad, bad situation. Why do you think nobody knows about his stuff? <laughs> <laughs> right. Ray talked about it that it was uh, either not popular or intentionally uh, swept under the rug. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I couldn't articulate it. Well, but, one yeah. thing that, you know, and I've read his books, um, you read his books and, you know, I, pretty early on in the book, he talks about all the blood tests that people do for thyroid, right? And he just kind of debunks almost all of them i think right where and he just kind of brings it down to again temperature being he doesn't talk about pulse rate at the right that's something that ray added on later but he talks about temperature as being the you know the kind of the golden standard he talks about the pulse a few times he says low pulse as being a sign yeah? of oh okay okay but, I, I just, but, uh-huh. but but you're right ray i think puts a more em- more emphasis on it uh and doing the both together but mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i'm sorry what i missed your <laughs> question no i was just saying so so um do you think when people go and take those uh blood tests for thyroid stuff how accurate do you think they are <laughs> I uh, so I think all lab work. Should, this might sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I, I think all lab work should be cu- kind of taken with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But I think those temperature and pulse readings are among the most important kind of uh, metrics that can inform a person's like oh, their own situation. And uh, but you know, getting a TSH or total cholesterol, prolactin, parathyroid hormone, vitamin D, those serum phosphorus, those those can provide a lot of 
important information. But um, yeah, I'm super skeptical. Like for example, uh, per- prolactin and parathyroid hormone are. I have a reference that says they're supposed to follow each other. They're supposed to when that one one goes high, the other one's supposed to go go high too. Okay. But sometimes I've seen like the parathyroid hormone super high and then the prolactin super low, <laughs> and like mm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you're getting those lab tests, you're getting like in uh, just a snapshot in time right. of what the person's blood is like, and that could change from hour to hour to hour to hour. And so that's why the pulse and temperature are so valuable because you can check them many times throughout right. the day. So in your experience, have you had it where you checked it and then you didn't do much of a difference and then you checked it again and it was a different number for you know for TSH or something like that? Have you had those uh, experiences like that? Uh, oh, it's like a huge variation in between. Yeah, or just a variation, you know, where one day it's that, next day it's you know pretty different, I guess, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I've experienced that and people I've talked to have like sometimes a person would get like a prolactin value that was super high. Mm-hmm. But there is a paper I have that says if the patient is like especially nervous <laughs> when mm-hmm. they get the test, it will be like kind of a false positive. Yeah, and that's fucking crazy, man. Doctors never talk about those things like and it but it can totally influence your blood scores, right? <laughs> they, yeah, they probably don't have time to talk about that. So they got to got to get you out of there in 12 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus. It's the same, same thing with like blood pressure, right? It's like you go in, it's like, boom hi okay get out of here right and it's like <laughs> you have high blood pressure i mean how many people do you think are prescribed like medications for just things that happen momentarily you know it's crazy right yeah that's the thing like doctors are like uh, basically representatives of the pharmaceutical industry they're not yeah. most of them aren't there to like fix your problems or help you fix your own problems yeah and and not to hate on them but it just seems like less and less of them are aware of that right it seems like they're not really even aware of that. That that that's what they're really doing there, you know. Yeah, there there was like a TED talk where we're talking about like the overwhelming amount of pressure like put on doctors, and I think like suicides among, oh, yeah. uh, uh, like it's like sky high. So yeah. mm-hmm. so again, maybe that is a like that apathetic attitude of a, a doctor that's a, kind of made it through is maybe the result of the the training and the schooling and things like that. So so again, maybe it's the system is worth criticizing rather than like the people themselves, but they are a part of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you, you are seeing, right? Like, But that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like the same thing with the fitness industry. You are seeing doctors that are trying to jump out of that system because they're realizing it's a stupid fucking system and it's bullshit. Um, but yet again, they're jumping into like another thing. Like what's really popular in the U.S. now is like functional doctors, right? And you go to a funk because, because you know their thing is like they'll look at the root cause. But in order to look at that root cause, they're gonna have you spend three thousand dollars on some <laughs> tests, right? Which again, in that particular moment in time, could tell you one thing, and another thing could tell you completely different story. Yeah, I yeah I noticed that earlier on that like uh, spending uh, buku bucks like a thousand dollars to go see an orthomolecular or naturopathic doctor or functional medicine doctor mm-hmm. was a little bit different than going to see an MD and they'd mm-hmm. order like fancier tests for you but they a lot of the times they had the same kind of attitude like uh, uh, they weren't especially helpful and they were just like way more money and so yeah man. yeah man you're these are these are reasons that I thought that I had to explore things myself, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I didn't really ever want to learn about glycolysis. I, that was just something that was like almost <laughs> necessary to figure out what Ray was saying. Mm-hmm. So you think it's pretty important for people to start doing their own research. It's just people don't have time these days, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's the I thing. Know. And they're more pressured, right? Like hurry up, get to work, hurry up, do this. Now we got pandemic, you know, people are dying, right? Like, man. It's crazy. So it's hard. And then, and then they go get a test and then it's like, you know, crazy values and, but they don't know why because they're constantly stressed and 
it's crazy. I mean, even the popular people, like, you know, Tim Ferriss talk about, like, testosterone, right? Where he's like, don't take the testosterone test at this po- point of the day because it's going to be low or it's going to be high. I mean, it's weird that people don't consider that with other things, right? With any, literally any other blood test, I think, right? It could be influenced by that stuff. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. People don't have time. You know, uh, I, I don't even I wouldn't even exist if people had uh, like all the time in the world to investigate whatever they wanted. So um, but, but there's no real fast track to figuring out your biology, you know, and so it's like, a, like I said, not to be cheesy, but it's like a personal kind of development thing. And so uh, I might be able to point a person in the direction or two, but like your own experience with thyroid, that's so personal mm-hmm. of what what specifically, you know, uh, mm-hmm. what you tried, what it did or didn't do. Like, it's it's so hard to like, anticipate that and tell a person what's going to happen when they when they do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, because thyroid is viewed as like a, like a disease, right? It's like you either have it, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you're dying, right? You're like, you know, you you have like the worst blood work ever, right? <laughs> or you just don't, you're fine. I mean, in your experience, is it really like that? Or do you think there are degrees to hypothyroidism? Yeah, no, I think the latter. So I think it's just a, <laughs> just a spectrum of, of what the person is experiencing. And they, they could see the degree of how bad it was just by measuring their pulse or temperature. And so mm-hmm. th- you, that's very important what you said, because people have said uh, in relation to pattern baldness, they're like, I don't have hypothyroidism because my lab tests say I don't, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what we're talking about here is a little bit more like grandiose, sort of like the, the worldview that like basically everybody you meet is on a spectrum of mm leaning towards hypothyroidism you know mm. if they're if they're over 25 or they're approaching 30 or whatever yeah. like the the chances of them having um higher levels of cortisol or adrenaline or in, in having some issue or it's, it's highly likely yeah and like reading you know broda barnes's book it's like it seems like do you think that was always the view do you think it was looked at a little less uh, you know, as a disease back back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Was it kind of like, oh, maybe you should try some thyroid? Like, do you think it was more common back then, or? It, uh, I couldn't speak about this super intelligently. I think so. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was. It was again that science based medicine thing. If a person isn't hypothyroid, if they were in this like huge TSH variation of like 0.4 to 4.5, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so. So again, that's a, that's like a trick the medical world does is they like tell you you are or aren't something based on some like phony baloney test that can vary an extreme amount. And also like um, I've known a lot of people that ha- were really hypothyroid that had very low TSH levels. And TSH is what a lot of doctors use to determine if somebody is hypothyroid or not. So traditionally, a high TSH would mean a person's hypothyroid. Mm-hmm. But as Ray has pointed out, I think high adrenaline can suppress the TSH. And so mm. a very hypothyroid person can have a low TSH. And so That's you just can't. Re- so you've had a person re- who had a very low TSH, but oh, yet he was hypothyroid. Many, many, many people like many, that. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. And so you've had, and they've, they've tried out taking some thyroid supplements and they, they felt better, huh? Yeah. Well, I think the immediate thing is it drops the adrenaline. And so the person can, the adrenaline feels terrible. And so you can usually feel different pretty quickly, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you look at thyroid as like more of a supplement than uh, as a medication then, huh? Yeah, this, this is like people get stuck on this. And so I, I was also stuck on it for a long time. But I, I think it's like uh, so, some people say, oh, Danny, you know, you've been doing the, the raised nutritional stuff for so long. Why do you need you still need thyroid? And I look at it kind of like, yeah, you know, uh, 
if I've been doing rice stuff for a long time, I still need beef liver. It still has like a function function for me, and I still need oysters. Yeah. And so the the thyroid supplement of T3 or T4, it's kind of like a replacement for the gland that I'm not able to buy. Like I've never seen it sold in Mexico, and I think it's I'm pretty sure it's illegal in the U.S. Like the FDA made it illegal sometime in the 40s or something. And so Isn't that fucking crazy, man. <laughs> You can't buy gland. It's funny, and a lot of these, like, uh, sorry to cut you off there. It just no, I was because you mentioned it. A lot of the ancestral um, organ supplements they have like kidney, lung, liver. Never see thyroid. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, rarely exactly. see thyroid because it's probably so hard to get, man. <laughs> well, well, some of them do have the the thyroid, but the problem is you don't know how much like T three and T four you're taking. Mm-hmm. And so I have talked to people who are like, "Don't worry, I got the thyroid covered." You know, I'm taking the uh, whatever bullshit company like supplement. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like. It's like all this stuff, as we've been talking about for two hours, is like so complicated. It's even more complicated if you have like no idea how much T3 and T4 you're, you're taking, if any. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we didn't really get into this. But Broda would use grains with, with people, like a, a thyroid grain. And mm-hmm. that's about 10 micrograms of T3 and 40 micrograms of T4. Mm-hmm. And so you could, uh, you could measure how much a person was taking in grains. And uh, like the normal dose of thyroid was about two grains with a person. So, so again, I just look at it like a replacement for the gland that you're not able to buy. And so it's more of like a natural food than it is a hardcore cocaine pharmaceutical. <laughs> I see. Okay, so you look at it like um... – and he was using in those days. It was like a natural uh, pig thyroid, right? Yep. Which they don't really do. They even prescribe that now. It seems like nowadays everybody that I know that has thyroid problems, it's always like Synthroid in the U.S., right? Which is just T4. It's funny you brought that up. So just a few weeks ago, there was a popular brand that I, I I've had a bottle of that was really good called WP Thyroid, mm-hmm. and so it's a very boutique product. Only contains the the porcine gland and a few other additives. Mm-hmm. But they sent out an email to everybody saying that their product they had been selling was not up to potency, and oh, so no. but people had been emailing me for a while saying they didn't feel good on it, hmm. and so so, it so must can you imagine? Happened. Hmm. Well, well, yeah, the company came out and then they said they were going to continue selling it even though it wasn't up to par. And so so this is actually a situation where a synthetic is superior to a natural product and and it actually um, has like less variability in it. So hmm. so there's a big naturalistic kind of viewpoint in the health world. It's like, oh, I can only do natural stuff, but I can also take krill, krill oil or anthocyanin <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, which is the most unnatural fucking thing ever, right? Uh, there, there's some, like, dissociation between, like, what people think is natural and what people think is not natural. It's very strange. That's so funny, man. That's interesting. So so, so it's hard to get the, the right stuff, right? And, and so um, at least trying to mimic the Broda Barnes, because he's kind of the pioneer, right, of this stuff. I, I mean, I think I'm sure there are doctors before him, but mm-hmm. uh, to my knowledge, he's one of well, the. Well, yeah, he just has that big book, and there's so many other, so many applications that he, you know, uses it for, right? So it's T3 and T4 that he's taking, and that's what you're trying because Synthroid. A lot of people take Synthroid, just T4. Is, is there problems with just taking T4? You think? Yeah, I think uh, that can burden the liver, and so Bro- Broder wrote another book called Hypoglycemia. It's your liver not your mind and Mm -hmm. the book is about how the thyroid regulates the liver's function and so ideally i think i forget the exact amount it's some large percentage of t3 the t4 is produced into t3 in the liver by these dehydinase enzymes Mm -hmm. so thyroxine into triiodothyronine and um and if the thyroid is already suppressed your liver can't function right Mm -hmm. and so just adding more t4 so your liver has to convert it i think is a 
fast track to having problems. <laughs> so and yeah, so, so that's why a lot of people like you you do hear a lot of stories of people taking Synthroid and saying they don't feel good, they feel more anxious or whatever. Do you think that could be probably a problem, huh? Yeah. So this was even before I knew who Ray Pete was. The Stop the Thyroid Madness forums on the internet, they all those a lot of women knew that just taking Synthroid was a terrible approach. Mm-hmm. Man, so it's really tough. So now, now here's a question for you. Could you get by without thyroid? What if you have no access to thyroid at all? How do you think? Do you think you could get by, you know, long term without it? Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, yeah, I I think it's a big, as you probably know, it's like a big can of worms. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think if a person just feels fine without it, there's no reason to force it. You know, like they might feel okay doing small amounts of T3. You know, that could be a tool in the toolbox. Okay. Um, for for something like myself, again, like I kind of contextualize my whole life as being this pattern of like varying degrees of hypothyroidism. Mm-hmm. And so for me, if I stop taking it, I predictably bad things will will start happening to me. And mm. so I'll start like waking up in the middle of the night. I'll wake up with palpitations sometimes, um, uh, like slower digestion, uh, just a bunch of kind of stereotypical things associated with hypothyroidism. So you and so, just start noticing small little things happening there when, you, when you're, when you're not take, supplementing with it, huh? 100%. But I can get away with a lot less in summer than I can in winter. And mm-hmm. so I haven't noticed this like seasonal variation in the amount that I need. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's interesting, man. So it's, it's more of a, you know, again, listening to your body, right? Not just reading <laughs> about it and experiencing, and it's tough. Um, do you do you think any people that have had so what do you think is happening with people who are having like real you know what they call Hashimoto's or these like real real uh, diseases of thyroid where it's like crazy right because how high is the TSH I don't know in those sort of things I don't even know man well it can be 20 or 30 I think really uh, sometimes Ray has a great article about it this I think it's called like autoimmunity or something mm. but he points to work by jamie cunliffe and polly matzinger okay and they have a like a wildly different interpretation that's being used by the people that are caught co- co- like identifying these things that are happening as autoimmunity or the like the self-destruction of the own t- the own tissues right and i guess those uh anti-thyroid antibodies ray and these other people think they're um kind of like a part of a repair process mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily uh, harmful in and of themselves. And I have a few papers that when a person takes enough th- supplemental thyroid, the antibodies over a year or something just go away. Wow. And so I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're talking about now for so-called Hashimoto's, but I think, um, I think the, I think the antibodies are according to this point of view are just a sign that the gland is inflamed and they're not a sign of like this, destructive self process like the that the these people are trying to characterize it characterize it as hmm. and you think it's also associated with some other things happening too right like you say prolactin being up and estrogen being up and is causing all sorts of problems there too huh yeah usually so a lot of people i talk to have like digestive issues you know like yeah. so it's calm. the digestion digestion is always this kind of curveball monkey wrench into everything and mm-hmm. then and then, yeah, it depends. I think uh, what, any health problem depends on like the amount of polyunsaturated f- fat a person has accumulated over a lifetime. And so those t- types of things are just two variables and whatever a person is experiencing. So, um, and you yeah, always, just, yeah, yeah. So you always just keep mentioning, you know, polyunsaturated fat. So, I mean, it seems like it's such a big thing for people to avoid if there's anything. Because you always, you know, whenever we talk, we're talking about something, you always come back to poofa, 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 <laughs> you know. And <laughs> no, but it's a. Uh, 
probably a really big factor, major factor of avoiding those vegetable oils, soybeans, and all that kind of sort of, sort of shit, yeah? Yeah, and thankfully that message is getting louder, I think. And so, for example, our buddy Paul Saladino. Well, like thanks he, to the carnivore yeah, MD. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, uh, if more people hear that message, I mean, uh, that that's good work, you know. And so, um, yeah, yeah, just uh, another guy named Chris Knob. I think he uh, did a video called the Pufa Apocalypse or something. Mm-hmm. And he really echoes things that Ray is talking about. I did like a little short video clip of uh, like I sliced his his talk into like a two minute uh, little video mm-hmm. and he talks about how it interferes with um cellular respiration i think that's the real basic way of putting it but mm-hmm. and, and that causes a lack of energy into aging and causes um all sorts of manifestations yeah. of different diseases. so you brought up you know oxygen and all that stuff and co2 so another big thing you hear in the rapid world is like uh living at altitude uh and you're currently in mexico right you're uh what do you know <laughs> Super jealous, dude. <laughs> Do you know how high you're up, by the way? Uh, I think it's where I'm 6,000 feet, and so... Oh, so it's um, nothing crazy. You're not at, like, uh, one of those towns where they're, like, 10,000 feet above sea level. I, I've, I've researched them, but I think you start giving up kind of, uh, I don't know, creature comforts or whatever, so I think... Of course. But, but maybe, <laughs> maybe soon that would be worth it, but... Just to try um, it out. So did you notice a big difference when you when you moved there? I really can't say that. I, okay. there, the one thing I will say is there are less bad days in Mexico. Like, okay. so I've noticed that like cumulatively over living here, I think the just tendency towards good days is very high. Mm. But I wouldn't say like, oh yeah, X Y Z happened in this like th- exactly at this point or whatever. Okay. And um, it's a very honest way of putting the saying, you know. I mean, because <laughs> you, you do hear that like, oh yeah, I moved to Nepal and I'm fucking living forever. <laughs> well, that that might be true. Like getting to ten thousand or twelve thousand feet might really be n- uh, really noticeable. But yeah. but have you looked at that evidence, the research on, on that stuff? You know. Uh, yeah, I know. I think Ray's uh, idea of the carbon dioxide being this kind of essential um, regulator mm-hmm. uh, is sound. And Kyle has done awesome research mm-hmm. on this as well. And the, I think 1904, Christian Bohr talked about uh, carbon dioxide being necessary for the utilization of oxygen. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to think about like uh, stress uh, happening when there's an interference in the oxygen or the, sh- the sugar supply. But since you can break down your own tissues and make sugar, the oxygen supply is a little bit more important. And so, yeah, raise written volumes about this, but, but, but like the lack of carbon dioxide creates this like pseudo hypoxic uh, environment where the oxygen is, is there. It just can't be efficiently absorbed by cells, tissues, organs, and your, I mean, your whole, your whole body. So you still got to try it out then. You got to, you got to report back. We've got to do another podcast. You let me know after you live at 10,000 feet for a little bit. I'm <laughs> curious because it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I want to do it too. I want to go down to Mexico or, you know, Col- I know Colombia has some good mountains up there. It's well, if things get bad in LA, I'm gonna. You'll, you'll have to come down here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, hey, I'm gonna. I might take you up on that pretty soon, man. Well, thanks for being so generous with your time, my brother. Thanks for awesome. coming on. Pleasure, uh, tell people where they can find you and uh, get your work. Uh, Twitter, Twitter.com/slash Danny Roddy. Uh, YouTube.com/slash Danny Roddy. DannyRoddy.com. Those are good venues. And you have a beautiful YouTube channel. Just put out a cool little video with making some food. I think it was pretty dope. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right, brother. Thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. Uh,